In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Every now and then I get into watching a television series, and a few years ago I got into watching the HBO series Game of Thrones. If you haven't seen it, you probably shouldn't watch it. Um, This is the case of me saying, do as I say and not as I do. Either way, there's a moment in one of the later seasons where the main protagonist, Jon Snow, is faced with the difficult decision as the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. It's a group of men who have committed themselves together in a vow of celibacy to defend the realm from terrifying and unknown evils. Now, John is troubled by this decision, and he goes to seek counsel from a wise man within the watch, Maester Amon. John is the youngest commander of the watch in history. He isn't well-liked, and he knows that the decision he's about to make is going to bring even further grief to him, um, especially from his fellow soldiers. So after explaining the situation, Amon says, You will find little joy in your command, but with luck you will find the strength to do what needs to be done. Kill the boy, Jon Snow. Kill the boy and let the man be born. In other words, John realizes that the decision he's about to make is one that uh, he has to make. There isn't another option. The right decision becomes the hard path. And the counsel he receives is wise. A mature man, a responsible man, can't be held back from doing what is right because of what others may think or even because of the suffering that he's perfectly going to endure Um, that he's personally going to endure for making the right decision. Person of integrity does the right thing even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. Scripture this morning tells us that St. Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph is faced with an incredibly difficult situation. He's in love with this woman. We don't think about that a lot, right? So when Joseph was marrying Mary, right, so he's in love with her. He's in love with Mary, who's betrothed to him. But Mary is pregnant, and he can't explain it. Joseph doesn't want to embarrass her, but he also feels like he needs to step away from this situation. He's wrestling with it in his heart. Then Gabriel appears to Joseph and commands him to take Mary into his house and to raise her child as his own, a child who he will name Jesus. He's given that authority. And Joseph hears the command of the angel, and immediately he obeys it. He doesn't question the difficulty of the situation. He doesn't consider what other people are going to say about him or about his wife. He doesn't evaluate how this will affect his perfect image that he had in his head of his whole future. Joseph hears what the right thing to do is, and he does it. At Jesus' birth, Joseph is told by an angel to flee with the child and his mother into Egypt, and Joseph does. Joseph is commanded to take his family into Nazareth, and he obeys. When I was in school, I only ever received one detention, and it was for wearing the wrong shoes on a mass day. It's ironic, I think, for me. We had a dress uniform, which all similar to what y'all have now. The guys had to wear these absolutely awful blue powder shirts with these blue and gold clown ties and khakis and brown leather loafers. But that day, I showed up to school wearing the correct uniform, but with tennis shoes because I had gotten up late and was rushing out of the door to get to school on time, and I just didn't think about what shoes I was putting on. All of us have probably had moments when we just find the rules at school to be ridiculous and excessive. 
I could have gone my entire high school career without any sort of disciplinary write-up if it wasn't for a rule about shoes on mass days. And I still remember going to detention on a Wednesday afternoon, and our detentions were run by our principal, and he made it his goal that afternoon to embarrass me in front of everyone else in the room because I, the kid who wanted to be a priest, came to mass wearing the wrong shoes. And even more ridiculous is that the teacher who gave me the detention still has the detention slip framed in her office today. So why do we have rules? What's the point of all of that? Shouldn't the school just have focused the punishment on the kids in my class who were hiding drugs in their cars, who were cheating on tests, who were smoking behind the auditorium because we didn't have vapes back then, right? We had cigarettes. Why obsess about those details? You see, the problem is we're given a standard of how we're meant to act. And that standard has its own reasons and its own foundation behind it. And every aspect of the rule plays into some other aspect. So maybe in the grand scheme of things, the fact that I honestly forgot to put my right shoes on that day wasn't that big of a deal. But why did I forget? Well, because I overslept. And then I was rushing to school to be on time. Or what if they made an exception for me here? What determines what the exceptions would be for other people? If someone decided to just not wear the uniform, would that be more excessive? Yes. But say he was just getting up in a panic late for school and didn't think about what he was putting on. Obedience is a virtue. So many of the saints speak about that. When we learn to become obedient to even the small matters in our life, it becomes easier to be obedient in the commands of God. But our obedience in worldly things, say for instance our obedience to our parents or even to the rules of the school, those small matters train us to be obedient in larger matters. They train us to listen and respond to God. But notice how quickly we fall away from the faith and into sin when we start to disobey our parents, for instance. When suddenly our way becomes the most important thing to us, our enjoyment, our fun, our own pride, and we'll respond first by shrugging off those things that seem minor, say the uniform policy. But eventually that becomes shrugging off our homework, and then our family, and later in life that becomes shrugging off our job, our spouse, our children, and that always goes in hand with struggling, uh, struggling off the things of God. Going to church, making time for personal prayer, trying to live a moral life. And we think that right now the things we're asked to do are really of no consequence. But at every moment, we are given the opportunity to grow in maturity both as a human person, but also as a son or daughter of God. Every decision we make affects that growth. And though there's always an opportunity for a person to turn their life around, the longer a person prioritizes themselves and ignores their own responsibilities, the harder it will be for them to make the right step. Tonight, we celebrate our homecoming. It's the day when alumni return to remember the good things they did and the good times they had here in our school. And notice I said alumni, right? The people who come back tonight are those who made it. No one comes to homecoming who didn't receive a diploma from our school. And we could extend that a bit and say, no one comes to homecoming who didn't at some point become obedient to the standards of this school so they could graduate. Heaven is our ultimate homecoming. 
But in order to be invited, we must become obedient to the things of God, which means we have to be willing to say when we mess up, and then we have to try again to improve. It means we have to let our own pride die away, and sometimes we have to make hard decisions which will be personal sacrifices for us. We have to sacrifice what initially may seem like a fun opportunity or a better way of doing things, and instead we have to follow the voice of God. God's voice never leads us astray, and he never asks us to do anything which is not for our most perfect good. So kill the boy. Let the immaturity within yourself die away. Let that pride that places you above everything else die. Kill the boy and let the man be born. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.